0: The
1: people's podcast
2: the people's podcast
3: it's the people's podcast this is the people's podcast that's right and welcome to this special edition of the people's podcast As we have a unique edition of the People's Podcast. Normally we have, uh, we're pretty upbeat, you know, we started the show pretty upbeat with your host Jordan McClure. But um, in this episode we're going to do things a little differently. About a week ago we lost one of the great pioneers of all media. We lost one of the great pioneers of all media, podcasting would not exist if it were not for Rush Limbaugh. And there's a lot of things that are being misconstrued about what Rush Limbaugh stood for and what he did not stand for, things he believed and things he didn't believe. So we here at the People's Podcast... Because we believe in freedom of speech, we believe in freedom of expression, we believe in free and open debate. We are going to honor the legacy of Rush Limbaugh because we realize that without him, there would be no people's podcast. There would be no Joe Rogan experience. It wouldn't exist if it were not for the life and career of... Rush Limbaugh. We're going to get into some great detail as far as what he, again, what he stood for, what he didn't. Bottom line is, in this episode, we are going to give you the full picture of who Rush Limbaugh was, because what the media is painting him as is completely and totally It is not only wrong, it is rooted in complete hatred and disgust for the fact that somebody that expressed his worldview on the radio, his respect for our nation and belief that everyone in this country has the ability to achieve their version of the American dream, that is what has been under attack over the last week or so by the media. So we want to pay tribute to Rush Limbaugh. And so on behalf of everyone in this country who understood what Rush Limbaugh stood for, and that is a unwavering optimism in the United States of America, an unwavering belief in the potential of every single American. And an unwavering belief in the founding principles of this country and free speech. We hear at the People's Podcast say, rest in peace, Mr. Limbaugh talent on loan from God. And when you have talent on loan from God, it must be returned. Rest in peace to the grandfather of talk radio and the voice of conservative pride, Rush Limbaugh.
4: I didn't plan on becoming a political spokesman. In fact, politics was the last thing I factored in in determining whether or not I would be a success. I was coming to be on radio, a media guy, and I love radio. I do television too, but that microphone is right here, and that camera is twenty feet away. And there's intimacy on the radio, and there's naturalness on the radio that can never be replicated on TV. TV is the medium of our time. There's no question. But I am proud to be part of the marvelous resurgence of radio. As a political force in this country, four years ago, when people went to vote, people said, my gosh, there aren't enough people voting. There's apathy. The people don't care. Today, the Congress of the United States is attempting to shut talk radio up because people care too much.
0: It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you. Began. Oh, tell you all about it when I see you again when I
4: see you again. the media can't why turn talk radio so can they? the reason can't they, they have not been able to do this with talk radio is we do not years stab years our audience so in the back really we remain principled and, and consistent We are not apologetic. We do not seek the approval of people that don't like us. It is talk radio that remains powerful, popular, unassailable. It's not difficult at all if you know where to look. It's been a long
0: day without you, my friend.
4: But I don't believe our darkest days are ahead of us. They never have. But people have been asking, and you, you've you always told us it'll be time to panic. It's, time, well, it's never time to panic, folks. Well, There's never, ever going to be time to give up on our country. It'll never be time to give up on the United States. It'll never be time to give up on yourself. Trust me. When I
0: see you again.
5: I just want to say, man, that was uh, that was amazing, dude.
6: Yeah, man, you got me choking up over here, bro. I mean,
5: dude, I'm gonna be honest, cause, dude, I like I said, I only listened to those two Spotify ones, but that last <clears> clip <throat> was one of like the clip was one of the Spotify episodes I listened to, cause it's one of his last episodes. I think that was from his last episode.
3: Yep. And when he
5: says that, dude, I was just like thinking, like all the speeches I've heard people give, like, and mind you, I've probably heard all of Malcolm X's speeches. I could probably quote them word for word. Along with him. You know what I'm saying? I've heard almost all of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches. I could do the same thing with them. Yep. i heard a lot of Freddie Hampton speeches. I've heard a lot of speeches. James Baldwin, JFK. I've heard a lot of speeches. And when I was heard hearing him talking about that, I was like, it rang bells of those guys just talking about how it's never time to give up. You know what I'm saying? Even Jimmy Valvano, the great speech that he gave, it's never time to give up. It's amazing how people in the face of death always have like so much courage and so much just so much to say and why like they're just wise you know
3: what I'm saying yep and I I enjoyed you know I mean that I I, I liked that not, yeah that I, I enjoyed putting that you know putting that together uh, I mean when I say enjoyed obviously it was very sad but mm-hmm. I mean it the one thing I will say the, the one thing I will say that Rush has you know, relative to um, relative to almost anyone else is not many of us die with twenty five thousand hours of our voice archived. And That's a fair
5: point. I probably said some fucked up shit already.
3: But yeah, Rush see everyone everyone wanted to think of him in terms of, you know, being being, you know, bombastic just for the sake of being bombastic and of course i mean of course he i mean there were times where he got really passionate about about what he thought was stupid about one politician or one pol- you know a policy you, you know what i mean but mm-hmm. but at his core you know at his core he was not he he was not a you know not a racist sexist bigot homophobe you know no good very bad man you know yeah. Uh, I mean and and that is and that is the kind of portrayal that you know the kind of portrayal that we are getting from the media, and so I just thought it was well worth our time to 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 try to portray him in in a bit of a different light because I am someone who has listened to Rush Limbaugh, probably um I was trying to think about this. I th- I think I've listened to him almost every day since I was about 12. And so I know so I know what Rush Limbaugh was and what he wasn't. And mm-hmm. it, it's going to be very hard in even, you know, e- even if we go for like, you know, two two even if we go for 2 hours here, it's going to be hard to truly represent what his career was. Yeah. But, but I'm but I'm going to try but I'm going to try my, I'm going to try my best to show you what he believed about the potential of this country and the people in this country more than any more than anything more than anything else because mm-hmm. that is what his goal his goal yes he believed in cons- in conservative you know he believed in conservative principles and conservative policies, but the re- but the underlying reason that he believed in conservative principles and conservative policies was because he believed that those policies were what made America the greatest it could possibly be for all of its citizens. You understand what I mean? That's what he. That's what he believed. Uh, that's what he believed f- first and foremost, and and he believed. In the American Dream, because he lived the American Dream, he uh, he was, I mean, he uh, was fired several times. I mean, he well, first he he, you know dropped out of college, was fired several times from from a bunch of different uh, you know from a bunch of different radio jobs, quit radio for a little while, went to go work for the Kansas City Royals, and then and then decided he wanted to try to get back in. Back into radio, he was told that he couldn't do a political talk show uh, during you know d- during the middle of the day from from noon to three you know n- noon to three p.m. and have it be successful because because the middle of the day is supposed to be local uh, you know all local all day used to be the you know used to be the moniker and so there was there, there was no such thing as a as a n- nationally syndicated host for the for the most part, let alone a nationally syndicated, uh, you know, p- political talk show, and you know, when it comes to you know comparing, Rush, comparing what Rush Limbaugh did for radio and audio um, to you know to anything else, you know, to sports, you can't really do that because because in order to do that, you have to find somebody who both achieved what. I mean, like in football, you would have to find somebody who achieved what uh, Tom Brady achieved and also invented the sport of football, right? That that is the best way I can put it. to To compare rush Limbaugh to anything else in any other in, in any in any other industry, it would have to be somebody who was was not only Tom Brady but invented the game of football. Does that make sense? No. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Yeah,
5: cuz cuz like um, what you mentioned in the pre-show and I'm sure you'll get here when you get to his background is he started in radio 8 years before Fox. So I mean.
3: yes. He started he started doing his national conservative show 8 years before the Fox News channel started. Mm-hmm. Think about that. So there were, when he started, there was no outlet for um, for people who believed in the greatness of America and believed in, you know, believed believe in, you know, conservative, believed that conservatism was the was the vehicle by which to make America as 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 good as it could possibly be, you know, as great as it could be, um, and and he was the first person who came along and said to his listeners. Look, I understand that you are. I understand that you are out there, and you don't hear anyone else in the media, uh, you know, exp- expre- expressing the opinions that you believe, you know. And and that, and that was a major. That was a major difference. And um, you know, and it takes a lot of courage to be the first person to cr- create an industry. Kind of you.
1: So, i mean i have something from you know my kind of side you know he started he said eight years ago eight years before fox yes what was like the the other side of like what was the liberal news at the time around was it just like c n n
3: well or... was
5: c n n around at the time you Yes. Know? like eight, eight yeah. years
1: before c n n so, like what was c- he going against
3: well i mean c i mean CNN, I mean CNN, c- CNN was around yes and and also i mean I'll check on I'll check on MSNBC. I have to honestly. I have to I have to double check. But but as but as we know, and you might you might disagree with this, Nick. But but conservatives see. I mean, like the 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 big the big networks: ABC, NBC, CBS. Uh, you know those those uh, you know PBS. You know PBS. Um, th- those have. A very, you know, when they present the news, they have a very liberal bent, and I think I think conservatives uh, just didn't see their opinions expressed anywhere in the media. And I'm and I'm trying to do this from memory. I don't think the Wall Street Journal even existed. You know, the Wall Street Journal uh, is uh, is is conservative, and so really there was so conservatives. Kind of felt like they were on an island when it came to, when it came to finding a belief, belief system in the media that aligned at least somewhat closely with theirs. And Rush Limbaugh, being a a very uh, a very shrewd businessman, I mean, he was a great broadcaster. Don't get me wrong, but he also understood the business sense of hey, there's a market here. And that market is not being filled by anyone. There, th- again, there there is no there is no Fox News channel there, uh, and all and, and all and all you have is ABC, NBC, CBS. You know which which are you know which historically have presented the news in a in a, ra- in a rather liberal fashion. Um, yeah. And so when you combine all that, I mean, Rush Rush Limbaugh saw the... Saw the, mar- uh, the market opportunity. The first thing that had to happen was you had to get rid of fairness doctrine, because getting rid of the getting rid of the uh, fairness doctrine was the first step, in order to, in order for any political um, you know uh, political talk on the radio, yeah. or TV t- or t- or TV to happen. Because Can you go into
5: that for them? Yes, for the listeners.
3: Because. The fairness doctrine, and this sounds crazy now when you think about all the politically opinionated shows that we have in our culture, on mm-hmm. both on both the left and the right, um, whether whether it be podcasts or on television. But the fairness doctrine w- was was a was a directive by the FCC that said if you wanted to hold a broadcast license, if you wanted to. If you wanted to be licensed by the FCC to operate in America, you had to abide uh, abide by something called the fairness doctrine when it came to quote unquote controversial controversial viewpoints. Now, the question becomes, of course, who defines the term controversial, right? I mean, that's uh, that's that's the yeah. first thing. But so the fairness doctrine said that radio stations and television stations had to balance out uh, had to balance out the viewpoints on their air radio stations. Said, "Well, if we have to if we have to balance our our view if we have to balance viewpoints with with someone who with, with equally conservative and and liberal, then then we might then we might as well not do um, you know we might as well not do a talk format because it's not you know it doesn't make economic sense. We might as well hire one person to play music, right?" Then, then 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 have to hire two people to you know split the split the time evenly and um, you know and and try to deal with all those headaches so uh, yeah so a, a lot of the stations so a, a lot of stations on on the AM band uh, just decided to play music and the quality of, of AM signals just uh, started to go down and down and down because all because all the investment was going into um, was was going into FM because music sounded better on FM than it did on AM. So when the fairness doctrine was repealed by the uh, was repealed by the FCC under Ronald Reagan in, 1980, in 1987, that essentially opened the door for uh, for any conservative commentary on the radio, and Rush Limbaugh was the first person to To not only be good at it, but 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 take it national really, really quickly. None of the politically opinionated podcasts or or uh, you know or or radio or television shows that, that you see today would exist if the fairness doctrine was was still in place. And Rush Limbaugh was the first person to prove that that there is a market for conservative, uh, or, excuse me, that there is a market for political talk in general but more specifically conservative political talk. I don't th- I don't think it can be understated that, you know, the podcast industry probably wouldn't wouldn't exist ex- wouldn't wouldn't exist, yeah, because mm-hmm. because of this ridiculous idea that that any show that existed had to be had to be, had to
5: be balanced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You, you so they made this whole new industry off of it.
3: Yeah, you couldn't try, you know, you couldn't try to you know you couldn't try to target a specific uh political audience now don't mm-hmm. get me wrong it's it's great to have an, op- an open forum show where, where you can where you can d- debate uh different political viewpoints that's what we hope to do here on this show literally under the fc under the under the fairness doctrine a show like uh pod save america on the left or you know or um or another npr yeah <laughs> And, uh, NPR <laughs> National Progressive Radio um-
1: Oh man You gotta do NPR like that Bro I hate listening to them in the morning man No it's just funny I just have a memory of like going with my grandpa To New Jersey to see uh, my great grandma every time Car Talk would be on NPR
5: Yeah Yeah yeah, yeah really, like dude. Talk,
1: but well, it could be worse. My dad,
3: my, my dad, my dad actually liked car talk a lot. Actually, um, no,
6: it, it was a good show. Yeah, for the like, I don't know, maybe five or six times I had to listen to it. The Sundays at six a.m. when I tried to like turn on 92.3 the fan like a Browns radio host, yeah. dude. It's NPR, and they're they're just like sitting down, and it's like it's like people over Zoom, so you can like hear people like crunching stuff in the background and stuff. Oh, I'm like, no. oh, yeah. this show is I, ass. <laughs> like, this I, is bad. Yeah, I, <laughs> their laptop mics. Yeah,
3: literally. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, uh, one thing one thing I always notice uh, about NPR besides their obvious political agenda mm-hmm. is they just have like this quiet. natural
6: welcome to npr
3: well welcome
1: it's like asmr radio
3: (laughs) welcome to all things considered i'm robert siegel i mean it's it's just
6: uh, sorry 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 if i'm too loud (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you
1: for joining us today
3: someone's got to explain to me why npr receives taxpayer dollars but that's a different discussion um it it seems completely completely ludicrous to me but anyway that's
1: a different sounds funny Oh that's just that's just a funny topic to get into.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just I think NPR could survive without its government funding. Yeah. I I think it has enough I th- I I I think it has an, unfo- fortunately, unfortunately, I believe there are enough radical liberals in this country to um to support NPR on an annual basis, but that's a but that's a different story. Um you know, because everybody assumes that Rush Limbaugh is strictly strictly political and I want to play some thoughts from Rush Limbaugh just some career advice because he because he understood the craft of of media and radio better than anyone else so in addition to his political opinions he also gave his listeners and anyone else who would listen some tremendous advice on life and career as well let's listen to some of that this first clip that you're gonna hear, he's talking about. He's he's talking about why his show is so unique, uh, and w- one of those reasons is he doesn't take callers. He does, uh, and and he, I mean, he takes very few callers and doesn't have any guests. Which which was, which was also another thing that was unheard of on on radio at the to- At the time, you had to have a ton of callers and you had to have a ton of guests in order to make your show work. So let's hear Rush Limbaugh talk about that right now.
4: Can I be honest with you about something? Yeah, sure. You're going all the way back to Walter Winchell. Right. We have people who are on the radio and TV, as we all will, We could go down the list of people who are there for one reason only, and that's to make you mad. And the formula for making you, the viewer or the listener, mad hasn't changed a bit, yet people keep falling for it. Uh-huh. It amazes me. Well, you know, a lot, a lot of people. anytime time I have found, anytime you express an opinion, half the people that hear it are going to disagree with it, by law of average. If you embellish the opinion with confidence and cockiness, then you're getting into uh, generating hatred and so forth. Because a lot of people would love to be confident about what they think. Most people aren't. Most people are trepid about about their opinions, and, and if if they are subjected to someone such as myself who's not then it, it tends to offend them but the key is knowing that nobody can get everybody to like them S- keeping in mind that the law of averages indicates that half the people who listen to you are not going to like you are still going to find a way to make those who don't like you enjoy listening to your program and and that is really the key to, uh, to the entertainment value that, that the program contains uh, I, I believe people turn on radio to be entertained, to be entertained, to be entertained and no matter what they're turning it on for, what kind of programming it has to entertain them callers are like records on a, on a music station you play the top ten you don't take bad calls you don't just sit there and open the lines and say okay what do you want to talk about you when you invest in callers your whole hope or your whole chance for success you're gonna fail you have to lead them you can't get along without them and i don't mm-hmm. disparage them but you can't let them control the show and that's another thing different about wabc for the longest time i guess the people who have worked there and some of them who still do Simply open the phones and deal with what they get, and so people are used to calling WABC making speeches about whatever else. I want people calling because they're they're reacting to what is happening on my program, not what happened yesterday on somebody else's, not what happened on on the the guy before me. If 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 I'm not stirring them up, and that doesn't mean being negative and pounding them. If if I'm not making them compelled to call, I'm not doing my job the way I look at it. I set myself up as the expert. I want to be the reason people listen to my program. The way I react to the guests, Mm -hmm. the way. Things happen on my program, the things I might say, the things I might do. I mean, I've have, never have guests. I never do interviews. And most, a lot of what I do on radio requires people's imagination to be fruitful. I've discovered your technique. You start out by saying, Tell me a little bit about yourself. So you let the guest start off and run. And you know, if the guest jogs or crawls, then it's tough. And you have a good guest like me. Uh, one who realizes the entertainment value that needs to be on a show like this I'll be glad to kick it off and start it are well <clears throat> no it, it was see I, th- there are bad callers but in the final analysis there aren't there are only bad callers if you're not doing your job if I'm not doing mine mm-hmm. and all I'm trying to do is grab people's attention for what I say and I know that they're going to be so mad hearing the song that it's going to take a while before they begin to understand message. but that's okay I- I'm prepared for it to take a long time the <laughs> bottom line is for them to get the message
7: and, and be entertained, I think. It's
8: absolutely, I mean the whole thing here is is a lot of people say, "You really believe the stuff you say?" I don't know; it's for you to figure out.
3: <laughs> did all of you did all of you guys uh, hear hear that cl- hear that clip? Yeah. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know you guys heard that in the um, in in the pre show, but I I wanted to p- play that again because I think it's an interesting perspective on. What he believes radio is, and it's a, it's an interesting perspective. It's interesting for people going into podcasting. It's interesting mm-hmm. for for people who listen to radio but don't really understand what it requires to do radio. Uh, I just I just found that to be an interesting clip. the stereo, The stereotype of Rush Limbaugh is that he is this bombastic, ungrateful, you know. Um, just, just egotistical man, and of course a lot a lot of people that didn't listen to him thought he was that in part because he he would say things like, uh, you know he, you know he would say things like half my brain tied behind my back just to make it fair, you know I, I mean he, he had a he had a uh, sarcasm to him that that if you didn't listen to him for a long period of time, you you may have. Uh, you may have construed it as egotistical but but his longtime fans understood his his brand of uh, of sarcasm that was one of the ways he he kind of broke the ice you know uh and you know started off with a sense of humor so that he could then discuss uh, serious issues uh you know without being without being too you know uh somber or you know, or angry, or or angry. Of course, sometimes he was angry and yelled, and you know, and 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 was angry at Democrats, uh, you know, Democrat politicians for doing X, Y, Z. But but he always had this sense of humor that his listeners understood and that made him entertaining above um, above, above all else because he felt that if I can entertain somebody, um, and and they can see that I've that I've got kind of a self-deprecating humor, then maybe, then maybe they won't, um, you know, maybe they won't think that if they listen to me, maybe they won't think I'm a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, you know, all, all that. But, but because he wanted to, uh, he wanted to express cons- conservative, um, conservative ideal, uh conservative ideals, and express a defense of this country. Uh, a, a strong defense of this country and why this country is great. I wanted, to, um, I wanted to play this this montage that kind of uh, dovetails off of what I off of what I was just mentioning um, because you know people think that Rush Limbaugh uh, you know w- was not humble and that Rush and and that Rush Limbaugh also believed a lot of things about minorities that he did not believe and so. In this clip, he's gonna he's gonna talk about a couple of things. He's gonna talk about his faith, and then he's gonna talk about what conservatives actually believe. and And I put this montage under uh, Rachel Char- uh, Ray Charles' version of uh, of America the Beautiful. So this is a this is a pretty uh, this is a pretty interesting uh, uh, montage to listen to. So take uh, take a listen.
4: Someone told me. I think um, I think this is good advice, maybe helpful. The only thing that any of us are certain of is right now, today. That's why I thank God every morning when I wake up. I thank God that I did. I try to make it the best day I can, no matter what. Don't look too far ahead. I certainly don't look too far back. I, uh, I try to remain as committed to the idea what's supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to. I mentioned at the outset of this, that's the first day I told you that I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It is of uh, immense value strength confidence and that's why i'm able to remain fully committed to the idea that what is supposed to happen will happen when it's meant to there's some comfort in knowing that that some things are not in our hands it's a lot of fear associated with that too but there is some comfort it's helpful God is it's helpful to be able to trust and to believe in a in a higher plan. So I again let me just thank all of you for your support, your prayers I send the same to all of you through anything that you were facing.
2: spacious skies. For amber waves of grain I pray for my majesties Over the
0: fruited plain
2: But now wait a minute I'm talking about America
4: Let me tell you who we conservatives are. We love people. When we look out over the United States of America, when we are anywhere, when we see a group of people such as this or anywhere, we see Americans, we see human beings. We don't see groups. We don't see victims. We don't see people we want to exploit. What we see, what we see is potential. We do not look out across the country and see the average American, the person that makes this country work, we do not see that person with contempt. We don't think that person doesn't have what it takes. We believe that person can be the best he or she wants to be if certain things are just removed from their path, onerous taxes, regulations, and too much government. We love and revere our founding documents, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. We believe that the preamble of the Constitution contains an inarguable truth, that we are all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life. liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, those of you watching at home may wonder why this is being applauded. We conservatives think all three are under assault.
6: I mean, honestly, dude, it's kind of comforting knowing that he knew Jesus because I didn't know that, you know, I'm from someone that has such a strong faith in God and like a higher power, like exactly like he said, you know, I kind of like related to that, that clip alone of Rush because it is comforting knowing that something's just out of our control. Like right. just give it, give it to a higher power, man. And stuff that's going on today, like a lot of people are worried about what's going to happen next and...
0: Mm-hmm. You know, right.
6: it, a lot of things are lining up biblically, in my opinion, and things no, exactly,
5: like but that. But you can attribute and, uh, many things that have occurred yeah. in everyone's lives to mm-hmm. a higher power. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. I You can find and, an example of something that where they would say, you know, whether you call it luck or you know, you, but mm-hmm. there's something that you can attribute to. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: and what, And that that part the that, that part where he was talking about what conservatives believe, mm-hmm. I, I think is yeah. very important. Very important, yeah. I
5: I remember listening to that clip earlier. Yeah, I mean, we did have, I think we had a conversation about that when I said true conservatives in an earlier episode, and someone said, What do you mean by true conservatives? And I, that, like, that was what I meant, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yep, the someone that believes in human beings, the someone that believes that the max potential of the person,
3: right, and and that. But that fundamentally is is what Rush believes. I think that sometimes conservatism is really misconstrued, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's construed as being hateful, intolerant. It's construed as not wanting to help people, right? Mm-hmm. And that is not the case. Conservatives believe people that that people do. That people do need help, occasion uh, occasionally to you know to, uh, to to climb to climb the ladder of success. Mm-hmm. Conservatives just don't believe that the that the government is necessarily the 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 proper tool for that. They think that that um, that that uh, you know pr- private um you know pr- private charity is is much more efficient and and, and Again, I'm not trying to get too political on this episode, but the um, but there but there are a ton of studies that show that, generally speaking, re- re- Republicans give give more to charity than than Democrats. Of course, that's I, I don't want to make too much of, it, of a generalization. My point I, my po- my point in saying that is, I think I think that that Republican. The people that are Republicans are automatically assumed to be bigots. Yes.
5: Right? Yes. And
3: that is that is wrong. It's A-
5: wrong in, in many aspects. Factually right. and like to assume. It's wrong to assume in like Correct. That actual historical bigots were not Republicans. So
3: Correct. And 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 that's why um that's why I wanted to include that um Includes that clip of Rush explaining what conservatism is, exactly. Um, because uh, and I, 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 loved, I loved, uh, and I, I, tried to, I tried to balance it out as best I could, uh, as far as balancing the audio with, um, with "America the Beautiful" by Ray Charles. I mean that's that's a fantastic <laughs> performance, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean that. Uh, you know, to hear to hear him say stuff like that, and then and then to see him portrayed the way he's being portrayed right now in the media, yeah, th- that is what aggravates me.
0: Uh-huh.
3: Because I don't I don't mind people disagreeing with with some of the with some of the more specific policy prescriptions that Russ, that Rush Limbaugh advocated for. That's fine.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But to say to say that he is a bigot or has hatred for anybody is not based on reality. Yeah. yeah. And that is the part that I, the part that I have a problem with. And I can and I'll just say this I, t- I told somebody this on Facebook. I, I can guarantee you the next time a prominent Democrat politician or media figure, Dies, I will not be celebrating their death.
5: Yeah, not me. Absolutely. I mean, so You guys know how I feel about AOC, Joe Biden, all of them. But if they die, dude, I'm not like fucking. Correct. I'm gonna go dance on their fucking grave. So I
6: wouldn't wish death on any of them. Exactly. You know what I mean? I exactly, man. Correct. Like,
3: and and I, and I <laughs> just and, and to nail to nail
6: on that topic, Pete, Sorry, man, but go ahead. The Democratic Party is the party that preaches unity and unifying. And all this stuff. And then yep. they're the ones that are now preaching, oh, rest and piss. Yes. Uh, Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. And Correct. Like, if you really want to unify, then it has to be for everyone. Right? Whether yeah. you agree I mean, or disagree, unity means uniting, finding a middle ground and getting I there. mean,
5: like, I mean, and like, it's it's like, and it's like, it just should be consciously known. You know what I'm saying? Like, Hitler was yeah. not a good guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. no, one's, no mm. one's saying Hitler was a good dude. You right. know what I'm saying? But like... Like whether whether you, no, it's not like whether you agree with Hitler's politics or not, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. like it and was there, there, just are, that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, there, there are cases where that is right. the case, but there this are, is not one of those cases right. where it's like. There
3: are very few people in this world that deserve to be celebrated when they die. Among yeah. among those are obviously, you know, uh, Hitler, uh, yeah, you yeah. know, ter- terrorists, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all those all those kinds all those kinds of people. But I'm sorry, a political commentator on the radio, yeah, regardless of how much you didn't like his politics, is not somebody worth celebrating the death of. Mm-hmm. Um,
6: and I'm guarantee you, everyone that's celebrating it didn't even take time to listen to one full episode of Rush Limbaugh. They listened to the clips that their choice of media posted. Right, so and, and, and
3: and and that's and that's why and that's why I wanted to. Spend spend much of this episode in in his own words, talking about what he actually believes. Mm-hmm. Because I because it's all there if if people want to actually listen, listen. to it.
5: Exactly, exactly. Yes. And to my point, what I said in the pre show and not comparing the two, but obviously they 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 like get they get get similar heat was like Trump. You know what I'm saying? Like yes, they play absolutely. they play a clip of Trump. But how many times have people actually sat there and watched the whole entire thing that Trump said? Yeah, he talks in a monotone, and that, in my opinion, that's what gets people, is the fact that he shows very little emotion when he talks, Right. and they have this pre-assumption of him, so that just automatically makes it worse. You know what I'm saying? Rather than come to it with an open mind one time and listen to a whole thing that he does, and then you're like, oh, okay, like, he didn't even say anything like he makes sense. He right. puts his thoughts out there, but until you actually sit down, because I'll admit, like, before I even did that, I was like, like, not going to vote for, you know what I'm saying, like, yeah, it's just, you have to take time out of your day, a lot of people don't, because they, quote unquote, don't have the time, or they don't want to take the time out, to view someone else, or put themselves in someone else's shoes, and, or just listen to someone.
3: It takes a special kind of hatred in your heart, to celebrate the death of somebody. I would say a
5: special kind of sadness. Mm-hmm. that, that yeah. sisters that, that that develops into hatred
3: see i think part of the reason why and there and there there are some there are some amazing comp- compare and contrast pictures out there you can find them of the new york times headline when when the 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 iranian dictator dies versus the the new oh. york times headline when rush limbaugh dies yeah. you know, you know uh, i mean it's pretty shocking stuff but anyway part of the problem in our culture today is that our language has changed so much the definite the definitions of words has changed so much and what i mean by that is in a way i can understand why they would be celebrating russia's death as as, uh, as if he were hitler if you follow if you follow the if you follow their chain of you know the, their chain of logic, so to so to speak, yeah, exactly, over exactly. The, over the last over the last ten years, and what I uh-huh. and what I mean by that is, it starts with redefining the term the term hate speech as any speech that I personally hate. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then, and then it's, uh, and then it goes to, uh, and then once you define hate speech as speech that I personally hate then if you define hate speech as violence which is another thing they've done if you define hate speech as violence okay then then you can claim that somebody like Rush Limbaugh is violent because he is proclaiming speech that you hate mm-hmm. on on the radio and therefore it's 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 justified to celebrate his death like he is like he is Hitler you know
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean that that chain that chain of logic has again it it, it goes to re- redefining terms of and also I, I just think I just think a lot of the hatred comes from again Rush Limbaugh had the guts to uh, you know to uh, to break up to try to break up a media monopoly mm-hmm. you know and the 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 person the the person that breaks up a media monopoly is, is always seen as irresponsible or or polarizing people that were that 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 used to have that uh, that used to have more control
4: America is advanced
5: citizenship you've got to want it bad cuz it's going to put up a fight it's going to say you want free speech Let's see you acknowledge a man whose words make your blood boil, who's standing center stage and advocating at the top of his lungs that which you would spend a lifetime opposing at the top of yours. You want to claim this land is the land of the free? Then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag. The symbol also has to be one of its citizens exercising his right to burn that flag in protest. Now show me that. Defend that, celebrate that in your classrooms then you can stand up and sing about the land of the free
3: in context of rush because there are a lot of people that just don't like free speech whatsoever you know and and we're i mean the thing that the, the thing that people hate about rush the most it seems like is the fact that he is allowed to you know allowed to say what he thinks and the fact that so many people will listen to it you know, um, he he is the first, um, or or could have been, I should say, could have been the first victim of of uh, of cancel culture. You know, I mean, he, yeah. he was the first one to really fight cancel culture and sur- and survive cancel culture. Okay, and I mean that that is a major major thing. Um, I wanna I wanna play. I want to play something because Rush, um, one very, very remarkable thing about Rush was the fact that he was complete, that he became completely deaf 13 years into his nationally syndicated radio career. I want everybody to think about that for a second. He became completely deaf and he is hosting a radio show. That's like,
1: yeah. Could he actually not hear anything?
3: Well, for um, and you'll and you'll hear him, uh, and uh, and you'll hear him talking about this in in a clip, but but essentially, what um, for about for about a month, he was completely deaf, and then he, <gasps> and uh, yeah, and he was still and he was still doing radio, and. And then he got what are called a cochlear implants. Those allow him to hear some sounds, but not really words. Um, so, he, so, um, so it's incredibly remarkable that he that he was able to do radio after after something like that, you know. But he just adapted. I mean, he just you know he just you know figured it out, and and it's. And it's truly amazing what, what he what he was able to do. That that's why, by the way, as you've heard multiple times in this show, that is why, by the way, this high pitched tone right here is what leads them to break in his show. Yeah, that high pitched tone was used for a reason, because he was deaf and could only hear. Very, you know, very high-pitched noises. So when he has to go to commercial break, you know, th- this this tone is exactly five seconds long, and it takes him to break, you know? So, yeah, so anyway, so, th- that's, so that's one thing that he used to, to help him, you know, to help him get through it. Another thing that he used, a caller on his show, was transcribed. He was reading what the caller says off of a, you know, off of a computer screen. It was amazing that he could carry on, you know, carry on conversations and try to understand what they're saying enough, even though the transcription is delayed. Obviously, you know, I mean, it's it's incredible to think about someone someone doing that and i was trying to tell people you know you know people on the left that were reacting to his death i said can you at least admire the fact that you know that he lost his hearing 13 years into a radio career and continued to do it and they they were still like ah he's a piece of crap you know so, so mm-hmm. it's just it's just it's it's sad but i i want to i want to play I want to play this um, this caller that uh, he, he was talking to a, a caller about a, about his hearing loss, and I want to play and I want to play that for you. So here is uh, here is this segment from the Rush Limbaugh show. This
4: is the Rush Limbaugh show.
3: This is Alicia in
4: Miami. Hi, Alicia. You're next. It's great to have you open line Friday. Hi.
7: Um. Thank you for having me on your show. You bet. Um, you know, the first time I, I heard your program, uh, I think it was around March 20-something in, in, in 2001. Um, I was home. Um, I just had to ride from Madrid. Um, I, I married in Madrid with, a, with an American citizen, and we decided to move to New York. And you were talking about uh, how you were losing your hearing. And actually, you you know, you move me to tears because uh, I'm a journalist, and I was thinking, what is he going to do if he can't hear? How is he going to continue with his show?
4: I was doing the same thing.
7: Yeah, you, you, that's the thing, you know, you continue to do the same thing day in, day out, and I really got addicted, and even when I went back to Spain, I would try to listen to it through the internet, and then fast forward to spring of 2009, um, I was I was a correspondent for a newspaper. I was doing translation, and I write. And I was having trouble with my my tunnel syndrome. So I had surgery. It it went really bad, really wrong. Um, it was a medical negligence, and I lost my fingers, all five fingers of my left hand.
4: No, wait, 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 wait! You lost all five fingers yeah. on your left hand. You are a writer.
7: Yeah. That, uh, lucky for me, I, I. They they just cut the fingers, not the rest of the hand, because in the beginning they said it was going to be below elbow. So I'm lucky, and I'm alive. But, you know, it's a shock. What are you going to do if you're right? So there there are many things to, to, uh, many many people to um, credit for my recovery. And you're one of them, you know, because you inspired me. You know, it's like... veterans they come back without two limbs 3 limbs and they keep going and they keep doing what they what they do you know and it it was the same with you so just so you know I, i really look up to you and i listen to your program every day and it was it was really good what i was doing we have to keep listening to you because you know that you can be an individual with strength and stamina to keep going and just not be well, stopped because you lose your fingers.
4: Oh, I can imagine. I uh, when when I was when I was losing my hearing, it was. Uh, I mean, obviously scary, but it was also frustrating. It happened rapidly, but in stages. I lost it all in six months. It was it was about ten percent a week at at one point, and it finally one day I came in here, and I literally, uh, I, I, I called New York engineer get started on setup for that day's program. I couldn't understand what he's saying. I hear, I heard him fine. I just my my hearing had deteriorated that I could not make out the words. And so I'm I'm really honored that I could have you know been a a part in in that for you. Uh, I know how important it is, and it's uh, now I don't even think about it now. Other than when I uh, like just got a new one on my right side, then it becomes a focal point, and I tell people about it. But now to me, it's just normal. How about you? what What is your What is your work around?
7: Um, I'm doing pretty well. I keep translating. I don't do a lot of gigs and uh, journalism because I'm really bit disappointed at the state of the profession. So I'm doing a lot of copywriting, um, right. trans- translating, and I'm doing well. I, ho- I work at home with my dog, <laughs> and I enjoy South Florida. And what well, do you
4: do You I use your right. Like, do you use your right hand to write?
7: No, no, no. Both hands. The one okay. without fingers, I trained myself. In the beginning, I would use um, Dragon, the, the voice recognition software, which is very good. But it's not the same when you write with your hands and when you write with your speech.
4: Well, you know that's interesting. You s- that interesting you say that because you know I want to send you. Uh, do you have? Well, I'm going to send you anyway. You have an iPad or an iPad Mini? no I don't <laughs> i want I want to send you an iPad mini you can dictate on it the, what what you're what you're calling a voice recognition you can dictate to it um, any any app that has a keyboard email word processing you can dictate now in my case I speak my thoughts much better than I write them because that's what I've done my whole i my brain can't keep up with typing on a keyboard i i but it can keep up with my mouth, or my mouth can keep up with my brain. So I just, when I when I write anything or a lot of things, I dictate it and then go back and clean it up later. Because if I just, if I write, I can't type because I get focused on making mistakes, correcting them, and losing my train of thought, and I get frustrated. And I've learned now that I can actually dictate my thoughts, speak them uh, with more vocabulary and more creativity than if I just sit down and write
7: you so much. That's so nice. I have to tell you something else. I, I, I just bought your Ross Revere and the Brave Pilgrims. Not for a kid, but for me. <laughs> and I'm enjoying
4: it. You bought it and for I, you! I, oh, yes.
7: Yes. I'm, I'm a right. brushes reader. And I, I try to improve my English you know, every day. And my, my learning of history of this country, I'm so glad and so grateful to be able to become an American, which will be very soon. So, Oh God bless you! This
4: is
1: the Limbaugh Legacy on the EIB Network.
3: Yeah, so I, I just thought that was a pretty powerful.
1: That was beautiful.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it 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 definitely was. It definitely was. And I'm actually very similar to to uh, to Rush in that respect. That I love to dictate, um, in, dictate into my phone, dictate into my computer. Never done it. I yeah I am I am a very very I'm very slow type I'm a very slow typer. And so I I've become very good at at dictating uh into my uh into my phone. I can actually I can actually dictate using um I can actually talk into this microphone actually uh that I use for the Roadcaster Pro. And dictate on my phone too because if I have my phone connected to the Roadcaster Pro, but um, but anyway, so I just thought that was pretty powerful to listen to because yes, he yes he made a lot of money, he built he built it up the right way, and he overcame a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. and I think that's that that's a tremendous example for everyone.
5: Yeah, no, I 100 percent agree. I know you mentioned, um, and you didn't play the clip for it, um, of his um, of his producer, you mentioned being uh, African American. A lot of people you oh. know, say, to a point you were making, a lot of people say he's a bigot, but um, a fun fact about him is the producer for his show for many years, and you can, I mean, maybe you know how, exactly how many years, but he was uh, African American, is that correct?
3: Yes, yes it is. Uh, let me play another clip, some interesting life advice on who to listen to, who not to listen to, you know, um, just some very interesting life advice. I'm going to play that clip, and, and then while I, and then while that while that is playing, I will I will get up. Uh, I will get the clip about his producer because I think that's an important point. Um, but I'm but I'm really glad I played that last clip about his yeah. hearing loss because I think it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think it was really powerful. as, as long I, again, I don't know how you can like. I can understand how you can disagree with his, with his, uh, you know, with his politics and his political conclusions. But how yeah. can you, how can you hate his character? I guess yeah. unless unless you haven't li- unless you haven't listened to Actually, him. Actually, you listen to him exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, so take a listen to this. This is this is Rush.
4: Independence, Missouri, up next. This is Mark. It's great to be with you, sir. Hello. Hey, thanks, Rush. Merry Christmas. Uh, an open-line Monday question for you, not directly related to Democrat madness. Uh, great talk to those young people, even if it was only eight minutes, a lot of great advice on the greatness of the country. Do you have any advice for them,
2: and mainly all of us, on success? I remember a couple years back, you said very few in the radio business asked you about being a success in that business. I was astounded. I proudly ask you
4: for advice for success not necessarily in the radio business, but in life and in taking advantage of our great country uh, as this year approaches. And I'm sure many young people would like to hear your advice as well. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give this a shot. Uh, I, I have said over the years that uh, there haven't been, by comparison, when I was uh, a young teenager, well, I, I, I want to do radio since I was eight. So. When I would run into anybody who was in it, I just asked them question after question after question. I asked so many questions. One guy said, you know, it sounds to me like you're more interested in how to do it than actually doing it. I said, what do you mean? Well, at at some point, you got to stop asking questions and start doing things. And I said, well, I'm not old enough to start doing things. I'm not old enough to get hired yet. Well, yes, you are if you really want to. But at some point, you got to stop asking and and you got to start doing. I mean, you, you can't. You can't learn everything about doing something just by asking about it, which I I knew uh, it was it was still some some relevant uh, advice, probably from somebody who was tired of all my questions. But I have noticed uh, that I've gotten much less of that than I sought myself. And, you know, I ask people in TV because it interests me. I'll, I'll talk to, to veterans at Fox. How many of these young people that you've hired have come to you and sought your advice about how to advance or how to do television, how to do what they're trying to do? It's amazing the number of people who say none. They all show up thinking they know everything. If, if they've been hired, they think they know everything and they don't, they don't need any advice. That's just a casual observation. Not, I don't mean anything substantive by it. I guess just cultural differences. I, I think um, and if there's one thing about successful people that they all have in common is that they love it. Whatever it is, it's their passion. It's their number one passion. It's the thing they love the most. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, the thing they love the most is their hobby, something it'll get paid for. But the next thing to do is to realize that you live in a place with boundless opportunity. Don't listen to the noise. Don't listen to the pessimists. Do not seek advice from people who failed at what you want to do because they're everywhere and they don't want to be alone. can't tell you the number of people who tried to talk me out of it. Rush, it's vicious, it'll eat you up and spit you out. The chances are so slim, it's just a road to misery. And I decided after a while not to listen to those people. And then I decided after a while not to even talk to them. I was only going to find people who had succeeded and try to learn from them. Now then, there are basics, I don't care what it is that you want to do, you have to have a well-rounded knowledge and, more importantly, the ability to demonstrate that you have it. You have to be able to, this is not just broadcasting or radio, you have to be able to communicate what you know. You have to do things that are going to inspire confidence in yourself. You have to really like yourself to be confident and it is confidence that will open up opportunity to you. It is confidence that will allow you to transmit what you know in ways that are persuasive and and impressive. When people ask me, um, advice on success. You know, the problem with advice is that it can be limiting rather than expansive. And so that's why I try to keep it generic. I I appreciate the question. I appreciate the um, presumption that I know what to advise in success. I'll give you an example why this is a bit... um, of a challenge if if you let's say wanted to be in radio let let's say that you wanted to do your own talk show and you went to anybody in broadcasting that could make a decision to hire you or not and you tell them that you want to do a talk show no one even today would advise you to do what i do And yet, this is a pretty successful venture. And nobody would tell you to do it. When I started, the wizards of smart and the powers that be in radio tried to talk me out of doing what I do. They said, you can't do a show without guests. And you have to take calls. And it has to be about local things. And I... Because... I didn't want other people to be the reason my show had an audience. I was explaining over the weekend to somebody was saying, you know, you I've never heard a show like yours. I said, The only reason you say that is because mine's the only one with any guests. Yeah, that's right. Why is that? And I said, from a strict business standpoint, why should I invest? I've got an hour here, three hours. Why should I give any of that time? regularly and as a routine to people who are not nearly as invested in the success of this show as I am. And why should I give a portion of this program every day to people that are already everywhere else in the media? There's nobody out there that I can get that's not everywhere else. And there's nothing I can get them to say that they haven't said anywhere else. So why? Why do what everybody else does? Well, because there's a formula. Well, there you know, there was. They talk radio shows had a formula. Guests were paramount. Issues being local was another thing that was paramount. Um, taking calls was uh, paramount. And how you behaved with calls. And Some, some people wanted insult hosts. Some people didn't. But I just said, why should I join the free? Why I, I, it happened at a juncture too, where I thought I had one last chance to make this work. So I wanted to find out. See, I knew, so I wanted to demonstrate that I could be the reason people listen, not some endless parade of guests who don't care about whether the show succeeds or not. They're only here to, you know, hype a book or a movie or whatever. And they're already everywhere else. So, even, but even to this day, if if you walked into a radio station and wanted to do a talk show, nobody would tell you to do it, like I do. That's not a criticism. the The point is, don't don't be constrained by norms. Let your passion dictate what you want to do, and 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 be brave. And don't listen to negatives. And another thing, whatever you do, do not get distracted and absorbed over things not under your control. It's just a waste of time. It is a psychologically destructive thing to do, to try to get involved in things that you can't control. You have enough time challenges trying to deal with those things that you can uh, control. But I just, I, I really do think that wanting it is 80% of it. All things being equal, you're educated, you're able to speak. And I mean in anything, you don't begin every sentence with, so, um, hey, what time, is it? so let me look at my watch. It's, oh, what time, is it? it's 2.12. Uh, just learn to speak what you think. Don't be afraid to say what you think. And be passionate about what it is. And if, if there's no money in it, find a way to make money at it. Create the revenue stream if you can. It's not universally true for everybody, but there's no substitute for desire. One of the greatest tight ends in football today, a guy named George Kittle, Number 85, San Francisco 49ers. He has a philosophy. He's the hottest tight end in football now. He believes that once you get to the NFL, the talent is so pretty equal that the difference in success and failure in the NFL is mental. Focus. Confidence. Confidence weeding out all distractions. Don't get hung up on things you can't control. So George Kittle, the night before every game, goes solo and alone for three hours, mentally focusing on the game the next day, putting himself in circumstances that he foresees. Third down situations, team winning, team losing. Time left on the clock. He tries to arrange things so that whatever that happens in the game is not a surprise. That he's mentally prepared for it because he's already studied it, focused on it. The weather, if it's raining, if it's going to be cold as hell, it's all mental. And he's when talking about the National Football League and the talent level, he's, he's right. I mean, the number of players quality qualified to play in the NFL is so few compared to the whole population that by the time you get there, the, the differences in talent from position to position, are, they're not much. There's not a whole lot of drop-off until you get to third string. And even then, you're still talking about people that are infinitely more qualified than the rest of the population. So the difference for him is entirely mental focus. Now, there's some givens in this. I mean, the physical ability, he's got it. I not have to work at that. He has to make sure he keeps it, but he has to work out and all that. But it's not something that he has to worry about. He's tall enough. He weighs enough. He's strong enough. He has to work at all that stuff. But those are not – everybody in the league does that. But not everybody has the same mental toughness, the same focus, the same ability to overcome adversity. And he thinks that's the difference in winning and losing in championships in the National Football League. Well, you can apply that to anything in life that you want to do. And it probably it's not an easy thing to do, to sit around by yourself for three hours a night and try to imagine every circumstance that you could face the next day so that when it happens, you're not surprised by it. Some people would advise against doing this because all you're going to do is paralyze yourself. Game day comes, you're going to be waiting for those things to happen rather than having the ability to react to what does happen. But it works. It works for him. And so therein is the last piece of advice. Don't think there's only one way to do anything because there isn't. There are countless ways. And even now, depending on what it is you want to do, there are countless ways to do what you want to do that may not have been done before, or may not be done very often or frequently. And remember that the pressure on everybody is to conform. Conformity creates the least amount of problems for bosses and managers. Nonconformity, that's a problem. I am a nonconformist. That's why I would never succeed in any corporate structure. Some people are made for it, though. This is the... There's no right or wrong about whatever it is you want to do. Just find it. That's half of it, if not more. And how you find it is being honest with yourself about what you love and what your passions are. And what you want to be. Some people, that's, what do I want people to think of me? Other people, what do I want to do? Whatever it is that motivates you. I've often found that one of the worst things you can do, though, is to get even with people you think wronged you in the past. I'm going to succeed at this just so those people will see they were wrong. Fine, let it motivate you. Well, but don't let let be why you're doing what you're doing because they'll never acknowledge it anyway. You'll never get the satisfaction you seek.
3: Uh, I know that was a long segment, but I think it was worth it. No, I think it, I think it was definitely
5: worth it. I took some, some notes that I think he, he brought a good point. He said he said that you have to be confident, right? And I think that it goes back to another point that he was making earlier about faith. And faith is just going to re-instill that confidence in you to keep you going, you know what I'm saying? Yep. There's yeah, there's pressure on every there's pressure on everyone to conform is what he was saying towards the end there. And I think again that confidence in that faith keeps people bound from having to necessarily conform because they have a solid root, a solid base. You know what I'm saying? That's why he said he's a non-conformist. He's against conforming, and that's right. why he also said you'll never see him in a um, power structure because it's like this just not fit yeah. for him. You know, yeah. uh,
3: corporate corporate structure. Uh, a, cor- a
5: corporate a corporate structure. Yes, yeah. because and, and I feel the exact same way.
3: What's What's really interesting about him is because I should say because there was no talk radio industry. When he started doing his national talk radio show, he in in a way, I mean, he had to he had to make a deal with with uh, with with a, with a distributor. But in a way, he could set the parameters. You you know what I mean? Because because there was no one before him, he couldn't. You know, the management couldn't say, "Oh, well, we did this with this person and 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 that with you know." We did this with this show and this with this show, you know, uh, yeah. and didn't and didn't allow this person to do this and that, you know. So, normally in media, the talent, you know, the the person doing the speaking doesn't have the the leverage, but in the case of Rush, because when he was starting, there was nobody really in the talk radio industry, he could def- he could define his own terms and define the medium, and he built an empire. You know, he built a legacy and an empire that you know that a ton of other talk show hosts have now have now emulated. You know, mm-hmm. it's truly amazing to think about. I did find that that clip that you were talking about about his producer. I I just wanted I just I, there is there is one there is one short uh, clip that I, that I wanted that I wanted to play. From him early, um, early in his career, talking about how how uh, you know how he realized that success uh, you know success is something to be cherished. It's not meant to be taken for granted. 1989 in Sacramento, uh, because when he started his show, he would do things. Uh, he would do something called the the Rush to Excellence tour, and and what he would do is he would. He would literally because he because this was a brand new thing, right talk radio was a brand new thing, so he would literally go from city to city, his show was brand new in that market, and he would and he would talk to audiences you know have speaking engagement type things in these markets to you know to truly grassroots you know connect with his listeners early on early on in his career you know he would go from city to city. You know, as he as he would get new affiliates, as the show would grow, he would go to those markets and build a relationship with his audience. And that kind of on the ground, you know, that kind of on the ground stuff, that kind of that kind of relentless pursuit to build something is something commendable. So here is Rush Limbaugh in Sacramento in 1989 this
4: whole experience not one bit of it is work not one bit of it it is all just more fun than i've ever had in my life it is absolutely no hardship whatsoever to fly around the country to see people to be on the radio or any of that but especially to come back here you know You enjoy my show, and I appreciate that, more than you'll ever know. I don't want to beat this into the ground. I'm sure you've all felt like you weren't going to ever amount to anything, even though you knew you were capable of it. I felt that way. The only difference between you and me is that I'm up here and you're out there. And the only reason I'm up here is because you're out there, right? It's true. You may enjoy my show, but I'll tell you, you people, especially you people in this town, in this area, you don't know it, so I'm going to tell you, you rejuvenated my life. Because a successful radio person is not a success simply because he does what he does. People have to listen to it, appreciate it, and support it. And everybody in this room has. I mean, for me, six years ago, to be mired in loneliness, and aimlessly walking through life, and then to come here and have tickets sell out in two hours? My friends, that hits me in the heart like nothing you can ever imagine will. I mean, I'll tell you. I. You have rejuvenated my life, and you have made me something I never even thought I could be. And I have just one thing to say to you. A sincere and heartfelt thank you.
3: Again. He was a humble man, and everyone wants to, you know, because they disagree with politics or a or a bit that he did, you know, a, you know, a satire bit, you know, took mm-hmm. took a satire bit the wrong way. Yeah, you, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. I
3: mean, I mean, he, he was just so misconstrued, as you know. What uh, what Hillary Clinton called in the uh, 2016 campaign the basket of deplorables. You know, I mean they they just they they just labeled Rush as you know racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean my my goodness, try listening to the man. You know. Yeah. I think that I I think I think that is I think that is what a lot of people are missing. People just don't listen to. Uh, people don't listen to people they disagree with. I will say this, and this is really the only really political comment I'll make in this episode. I do think it is true that conservatives know a lot more about liberalism than liberals know about what conservatives actually believe.
5: I I would agree. I would say say based – I would agree
3: agree only – I,
5: w- I would agree based on only because my own story being coming from like I was a liberal now I'm, I'm well I'm not cons- I wouldn't say I'm a conservative either but I lean more conservative and I agree with more conservative politics I would say but I don't like to I don't like to use the label for myself but like I get what you're saying Pete, yeah but yeah. I would say I would say the reason I believe that though is because I think a lot of people like start off believing that and then Go to the other side,
3: right? Um,
5: in my at least in my case, I don't know.
3: Yeah, one thing that Rush Limbaugh one one talent that uh, one talent on loan from God that that Rush Limbaugh had. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was that was just one of his uh, you know Rush isms so to speak. Yeah, it's uh, uh, a good one. Talent use it. on loan from God.
1: Anyway, yeah, um, I really might use that.
3: So, um. Which, which is weird, because in because in one way that sounds somewhat egotistical, egotistic. yeah, but I mean, but, obviously, it's but, like, but in but, but on the other hand, think about those words. Yeah, ta- talent on loan from God. No, yeah, no, there's nothing
1: egotistical about it. Yeah, but it's, we're just. A part of God being loaned out for a time.
5: Yeah. If you come with the already set mindset that he is so and so, quote unquote, then that just adds to that. Is what Peter's saying. He's kind of speaking devil advocate a little bit. Right.
3: I mean. Right. I mean, they. They. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the way people again, again, the way people just label, just label people. Rush. This is his. This is this is his producer. uh, His name is uh, James Golden. He was known as uh, Boesner... Uh, both nerdly, on the show, and he was Russia's producer for um, for for just over thirty years. So think about that. And this, and for those who. I don't know this is an African-American man. All right, Bo, let's first start with the obvious question. You've been with Rush Limbaugh
8: for many, many years. What is it like to work with Rush, and what kind of guy is he?
9: Oh, first, he is a wonderful human being. I've been with him now for almost, I think, over 30 years. See, it's hard for me to keep track. I came on when there were 56 stations, so that's what I remember. (laughs) And he is, it's a blessing to work with him. He is one of the most intense knowledgeable, wonderful human beings I've ever had to work with. You know, most of our staff, has. we've been together for, depending on when they came on, upwards, like me, of 30 years. Others came on when we started the website at uh, t- the 20-year mark. Our newsletter started um, a year after we got on. That staff has been the same since. We all come, we're like a very tight family, and we don't leave. <laughs> Because it's so wonderful to work with him. We've had two meetings in the entire time that we've been there. One, of course, was when he told us his diagnosis, which was one of the worst days of our, our lives. But even then, uh, we were filled with optimism. And we are optimistic right now that, uh, that Rush is going to be healed. Yeah. And as he says, you know, prayers count, and we've got millions of people praying Uh, with us and for us, so it has been an interesting experience even through this. But he's, there's no way to describe it, very simply. He's just one of the most awesome men that I've ever met in my life, let alone probably the most awesome broadcaster I've ever come in contact with.
8: You know, being with him has opened a lot of doors for you. And one of those doors is the new pack, the Journey Pack. Tell me about
9: that. New Journey Pack, (laughs) newjourneypack.org. New journey pack. What what I decided to do, though, though is, that, is to come from behind the studio. I've been working behind the scenes for an awful long time. But this year I decided I couldn't do it anymore because someone has to actually get in the trenches to help those that are already there change this narrative about who conservatives and who Republicans are. So that is what our mission is. We are going to change the narrative. We are going to be in every blue city, in every neighborhood that we can, in underclass neighborhoods, in middle class neighborhoods, all around, in minority neighborhoods, all around the country to let our fellow citizens know who we are. We are not the enemy. We are not these people that the Democrat Party has portrayed as being racist, bigot, and and the enemy of people who have a right to the American dream just like all of us do. So that's the mission of this. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to also ensure, do our best to ensure that this president is reelected because he deserves it based on his track record. And the other thing that we're going to do is stand up as a voice when our fellow conservatives are attacked like Rush, like Sean, like any of the other conservative media figures, we are there to push back.
8: You know, there's a lot of historical significance about the Republican Party being called the party of Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Talk about that and what that means.
9: Look, the Republican Party was born as a counter to the Democrat Party, which was the party of slavery, which is the party of Jim Crow, including current-day Jim Crow. If it were not for the Republican Party, the Civil Rights Bill of 1964 would not have been passed. It was passed with Republican votes over the objections of Democrats. Republicans have stood for the republic, for freedom, for liberty, for those people in our country to access their full birthright as American citizens to have a piece of the American dream. And so what we're doing is reestablishing that connection with minority voters, and also with conservatives all around the country. This is what Republicans have been about. Now, if people want to say that sometimes Republicans have gone shy and left that message, okay, that's fine. But we're here to reestablish that connection. It is a historical connection. That's why this party was born. That is our legacy, and that's our mission.
8: Yeah. You know, the conservatives, a lot of conservatives are called racist. Even the president has been called racist. Do you think that's a fair assessment? And if, if not,
9: why? Oh, absolutely not. Um, <clears throat> people that call you, number one, the, the term racist has been used by Democrats to define Republicans in part to hide their own past. Which, again, is the party of Jim Crow. You know, Woodrow Wilson resegregated the government and he right today has celebrated in Washington, D.C. with the Woodrow Wilson Center. You have a party, the Republican Party, that has been in the forefront of trying to deliver things that change people's lives. You go back to when George W. Bush was, uh, was president and they were talking about Social Security. Now, This is, this is kind of a, a little bit in the weeds, so just stick me with it. Black men have the shortest lifespan of most measurable groups in America. So if you're a black guy, you work all your life, you put your money in Social Security, chances are you will die before you receive the benefit of that. What George Bush's plan was, was to try to let you keep that money as an investment and be able to pass it along to your children to create wealth. Democrats stand against that. That's is institutional racism. When you tell mothers that they cannot send send their own children to the school of their choice, Mm. which is what the Democrat Party does, that is institutional racism. It is stopping you from exercising your freedom. Republicans stand in the forefront in terms of policy of freedom, of liberty, and that should in and of itself... Discount any perception that we're a racist, a bunch of racists. People say that we're a divided country. How did we get here? We've always been a divided country. We have all, America was born a divided country. If you go back and look at the founders, (laughs) it's so amazing. You'll see that even President Washington had detractors. One of them was a guy that he thought was a son to him almost, Thomas Jefferson. This country has been divided from its birth. We had, this is why we couldn't address the, save, the, the slavery issue at the, founder, the founding of this country. But we did have a mechanism that our founders put in place, which was a self correcting mechanism that we could amend our Constitution. And because of that, we were able not only to correct what could not politically be accomplished at our birth, but to eventually become the country that spread freedom throughout the world. We have an amazing history. We changed the course of human existence. America did that. But America has been divided from the very beginning. And I dare say long after we are all gone, America will still be divided. We will have people on both sides of the political divide or a few sides of a political divide.
8: You've been a member of the media for a long, long time. So you've watched this up close and personal. When did we get to the point where the media is where they are today, where they're really a mouthpiece for the left? The
9: mainstream media. But here's why I'm hopeful. We have an alternative media now. And I don't think we in the alternative media give ourselves enough credit. Okay, yeah, the New York Times is out there doing what they do, uh, along with the L.A. Times, all those on on the left in print. And then you have ABC, NBC, CBS, and that bunch. And then you have the assorted left-wing radio stations. But look what has happened. We have so many conservatives now... That for a while, Fox was considered to be a conservative television station. And there are still a lot of conservatives that are looking at Fox and looking at other outlets that have sprung up now. We own talk radio. We have a stable footing on the Internet. We are conservatives are all over new media and streaming media. Now Hollywood, yeah, left still owns Hollywood, but guess what? There are more independent productions coming. There are more conservative kids, young kids coming up in a generation that are not ashamed to be conservative, that have a very activist attitude, and they are forming companies in the media. So the the media is left the mainstream media is left wing, but now there is so much competition. And a lot of that, by the way, is due to rush. Mm-hmm. And that may sound a little self-serving, but it's not. You know, when Rush Limbaugh started this show, there were 1,200 radio stations doing talk. Today, there are over 12,000. There was no Fox News. Roger Ailes, who, as we all know, was the the, the founder, if you want to, of Fox News, had produced Rush's TV show before then, and they were together. He saw that market because of what he did with Rush. Mm-hmm. And as some of the others that are not ashamed will tell you, that are not full of ego, will tell you that Rush was instrumental in transforming not just the radio industry, but the television industry as well yeah. with what he did. Yeah.
8: Yeah. Final question. Some people have said that America's best days are behind them. Do you believe that, and if not, why?
9: No. America's best days still are ahead of us. And you know what? Every time it appears that we're on the brink of maybe losing our freedom, something kicks in. I, be, I firmly believe that this nation was born of, with divine providence. That God had a major hand in making sure that this nation was able to not only come into existence, but survive all of the perilous times that it's been through. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that hand is still here. And that hand is still watching over us, no matter how bad May disobey, no matter how bad as human beings we may go off. There is still enough God's spirit in America, and enough of providence looking over this country that we come back from the brink. Many will say that's why we have the president that we have now. He might be an imperfect messenger in in some of their views, but boy, has he delivered on things like uh, the 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 right to life. Our most basic right as Americans, the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And you look at conservatives who are doubtful of this president and then look at what he's done. Right now, the left is freaking out just over what he's done with the courts. You tell me that there isn't a hand looking over us, saving us from ourselves. I believe there is. And I believe America's best days are, are in the future and to come.
5: That. It had to be one of the greatest clips I've heard on this show so far.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you'd say.
5: Dude. Oh my god, there's so much there yeah, in that I just like, wanna fucking
1: dude, that's he just J Mac in a clip.
5: <laughs> dude, that's literally me in a fucking clip, bro. Holy shit. Dude Jordan McClure
3: Jordan a little... Ma- a little Jor- J- Jordan McClure Jr. <laughs> dude, I literally I'm the so- whole time I'm, he's talking. I'm sorry, for, Jordan McCord, senior. I meant.
5: <laughs> For all the listeners at home that can't see in the Discord right now, every time this dude is talking, I'm sitting here just like with my hands on my head, like "Thank you, thank you." Like what? Like like someone else finally say this? Like <laughs> yeah. the creation of the Republicans was to oppose the slave, the slavery. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. they voted, they voted for the Civil Rights Bill. I won't get into that too deep because Civil Rights Bill. If you want to talk about what it actually did. More or less. Well, okay, the Civil Rights Act itself, yes, the the Republicans are the reason that it passed. But then, like, LBJ's, like, the welfare system and all that, not, not good. But yeah. again like the but the idea again is for Republicans on the basis for basis true conservative is individual freedom to the max maximum freedom and again it goes back like he was saying this country has been divided since the beginning like I was mentioning in that episode where we had the minimum wage and we had Brady on and we we had that discussion when Brady posed that like the he was playing devil's advocate but he was like you know what I'm saying yeah yep it's been they they literally at the beginning were trying to get rid of slavery, but because it's been divided since the beginning. Some mind you, when they were fighting the Revolutionary War, some people were fighting on behalf of the Crown in the United States. Right. they so were loyalists.
3: My 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 point is so obviously obviously I I knew I knew I knew that you would absolutely love what that man had to say, Jordan. Uh, mm-hmm. uh because because he sounded exactly like you, uh, mm-hmm. but. But, um, uh, and no, I'm not just talking about skin color. I, but I'm, but I'm, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying that my bottom line is that man that you just heard for 12 minutes sound exactly like our host, Jordan McClure.
1: Mm-hmm. It really did.
3: Yeah that man that man that you just heard for 12 minutes that sounds exactly like that Jordan McCollum yes it was
1: not, not did not feel like 12 minutes felt way faster
3: yes yeah. well i'm sorry 11 minutes and 57 seconds if you want to be pre- if, if you, you. you want to be <laughs> precise um, but, but the right,
1: we uh, we don't round up here we are to the point
3: <laughs> we are precise yeah so yeah sorry about that but anyway <laughs> um but anyway, my point is that man that you just heard for 12 minutes what was the producer for Rush Limbaugh for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay? That man knows Rush Limbaugh better than anybody else, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And so 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 and and you know, they they obviously they they they, they work closely together over the course of 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. And so you cannot listen to that man and a lot of the stuff that Rush has said – you cannot listen to that man and you cannot listen to a lot of the stuff that Rush has said in its full context on the air and come to the conclusion that Rush Limbaugh is a racist.
0: Yeah.
3: You know? Yeah. Like, like I said, that man that you just heard has worked – with Rush Limbaugh for 30 years, okay? Mm hmm So, and do you think he would stay with him? uh, Do you think he would stay with him for 30 years if he felt, if he felt, you know, you know... He was
5: opposing him. Yes. Or, like, degrading him or oppressing him.
3: Correct. Yes. That's my point.
5: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, like, especially when his values are, like, I am for the party that freed the, like, you know what I'm saying? Yes. it's exactly to your point B. like he him with him being himself he does not have like quote unquote the uncle tom mindset right, right? yes so he would not be one to just conform to quote unquote a master right, right? yep he's he's producing him because that's something he is skilled at doing yeah yep and and because he has this freedom value and because he has these values he has worked with rush for so long, despite what obviously the media portrays Rush as, because they have again, it goes back to the confidence that Rush was talking about that you have to have, and that I think that links back to what you were saying at the beginning that he mentioned about faith. You know what I'm saying?
3: Correct, correct. And and I'm and I and, there, and there's so much there's so much more about Rush that I could play. We've been going for about two hours here. Yeah, there's so. There's so much more about Rush that I... There's so much more of Rush's words that I could play. I'll just give the listeners um, a couple shows that I think they need... That that I think they should check out.
5: I'm going to write them down too. And we'll uh,
3: post them in the Discord. Yeah. June 1st, 2020. The first segment of the first hour and then the entire third hour. Because... The, the way... Because... Uh, just a little timeline here. June 1st, 2020 was just a few days after the um, or just a couple of days after the George Floyd video surfaced. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you, you know, there's 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 a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things we still don't know about exactly what killed George Floyd. And, and that's a rabbit hole we can go down. But yeah. But my point is But my point is, if you listen to that show, you will hear Rush Limbaugh's complete and utter disgust at what he saw on that video. You know, the eight minutes of the Mm -hmm. cop's knee on his neck. Okay? Mm -hmm. A racist would not be disgusted by that video. Yeah, no. Okay? No. Rush talks about... W- why he feels disgusted because he b- because he believes that america is a place where everyone can have can have the opportunity to advance advance in life you know and mm-hmm. and that uh op- uh you know and this was uh you know and obviously this was immediately after the the Detroit toy thing and so he you know and so he was reacting you know, on the spot, and he was saying, you know, to see somebody's liberty and freedom taken away from them by the knee of a police officer is, is, is sickening, and, you know, and he was just disgusted by it, and obviously, I mean, if he was a racist, he would not, I mean, like, th- that is not how a racist reacts to an incident like that, you know, that's a big thing. Uh, we, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play one more clip. But before I play that final clip, I'll, I'll just kind of let you, uh, you know, I'll just kind of let you uh, close out, and then, and then play, um, and then play that clip, and I'll have a little mu- music underneath it. But, um, so you just want to close out the episode, and I'll, I'll, and we'll just close it out with, with words of, with uh, some different words of gratitude from Rush. Yeah, um
5: basically just you know, just to close out the episode, appreciate everyone listening again. This was a, a little different episode. Big thank you to Pete for putting this together. Um a lot of us, especially me, when I'm speaking on this, I guess I'm speaking for myself mostly. I was really uneducated about Rush and his political beliefs. Um not only not like I had no idea whether he was a left on the left or the right, I just knew that his name was famous and he was a recording like, I knew it was in recording. I didn't know if it was music. I didn't know if it was radio. I didn't know what it was. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. well, well. But um, I definitely I definitely learned a lot here, and now I get, like, now I'm real. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can understand the type of guy. Correct. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you get to start to get the picture. Obviously, you're not going to fully understand him from this episode. But like you said, once you go back and listen to his episodes and listen to his segments, then you get a better idea who he was rather than letting the media tell you in a clip or two of who he was.
3: Twenty. There's approximately twenty five thousand hours, yeah, of the rush, of the Rush Limbaugh show from the last thirty two years. Okay, you know, so don't give me this one quote from Rush Limbaugh taken out, uh, t- uh, taken out of context. Um, uh, you know, to to try to tell me that he was racist. I I will make the there's a the, there's a couple there's a couple more points that that I want that I want to make real quick. One thing that. Uh, and I don't know if you saw this parody, Jordan, but one parody that, that got, that got Rush in trouble, uh, in 2007 was, um, it was a parody with, uh, uh, with, uh, with Al Sharpton's voice, and, uh, and it was a parody called, uh, it was a parody about Barack Obama. Did, did you see, did you see that one? I did not. Uh, okay. The parody was called Barack the Magic Negro, and... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and people who didn't know what he was doing thought that he was th- you know th- thought that he was, you know, uh being racist toward Obama and actually what he was doing was he was making satire in direct response to a column in the Los Angeles Times praising Barack Obama calling, Bar- calling Barack the magic Negro saying Barack, the magic Negro. But
5: they try And what they try to do is say that he, look, he's calling Barack a Negro when it was, he was making fun of the title that someone else used.
3: Correct. And I, yeah. I and I've got that, I, that, that, that link. I, I sent that link to you, uh, McClure, on, on messenger. I, mm-hmm. I, I, sent, I sent that link to you of, of both the, um, of, of both the, uh, uh, the parody and um, and of the actual article that it, that that it, that it was based off of, but I mean, so again, Rush had a a you know a sense of humor unlike almost anyone else. Uh, I mean, and and he and he wasn't afraid to. I mean, yeah, you could say that oca- occasionally he was offensive, but again, what is the definition of offensive? That keeps changing, right? So, you know what I mean? That,
0: yeah.
3: The definition of offensive keeps on changing. You know, I mean, what, 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 I mean, in the course of this episode, the the definition of offensive has probably changed six times. So, I, I you know, I, I just, I, I think that I think that people need to uh, look look at a person more. Ho- more holistically and they need to understand wh- when a person is you know really trying to do you know satire you-, you know and 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 make fun of make fun of what at the time were cur- were current events i might get mm-hmm. i might get i might get in trouble from uh you know from from apple podcast or somebody from this but i'll just i'll play a little bit of that parody <laughs> uh so that so that, you know, so, that, so that so that you know what I was talking about. And again, this was based on a Los Angeles Times piece entitled Barack the Magic Negro <laughs> in 2007, you know, when he was running for president. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Now,
4: Obama, you know, he followed this, and he had to go out there and prove that he can speak this way, too. But the question that always surrounds Obama, even when he goes out and tries to imitate Mrs. Clinton's dialect, is, is he down for the struggle? There's something humming down here.
8: Oh, that's somebody's Blackberry. That's Sharpton's Blackberry. Is that Hillary know.
4: Now, keep in mind, this is a day where Blackberry service had blacked out. <laughs> there was, I know Friday was a bad day for Blackberry on his Thursdays and Friday. Uh, uh, I never lost mine. Well, I lost mine on Saturday a little bit, the receivability, but... Nevertheless, there's, the, um, uh, there's the, the black dialect for the uh, urban national network or so forth. Let's go back to March 5th again. This is Selma, Alabama, and this is Obama uh, talking about having been in Selma
8: before. This is the site of my conception. I am the fruits of your labor. I am the offspring of the movement. So when people ask me whether I've been to Selma before, I tell them I'm coming home. Okay, so
4: he's trying to illustrate here that he is down for the struggle. And this next bite, this is at the National Urban Network, uh, uh, Obama says that he shouldn't get black votes just because he's black.
8: I should not get the support of the African-American community simply because I'm African-American. I don't believe in that. That is not what America... Well, you better change, better
4: change your attitude, because Hillary certainly thinks that. I mean, that's exactly what Hillary thinks. I guess they've patched it up, folks. I guess Sharpton and Obama patched it up, since Obama showed up at Sharpton's Big Whoop.
0: Barack the Magic Negro lives in D.C.
2: The L.A. Times, they call him that, because he's not authentic like me. Yeah, the guy from the L.A. paper Said he make guilty whites feel good They'll vote for him and not for me Cause he's not from the hood See real black men like Snoop Dogg Or me or Farrakhan Have talked the talk and walked the walk Not coming late and one
0: Oh Barack, the magic negro lives in DC. The LA Times, they called him that, cause he's black but not authentically. Barack, the magic negro lives in DC. The LA Times, they called him that, cause he's black but not authentically.
3: Some sabre rocks articulate and bright and new and clean. The media. This voice is supposed to be Al Sharpton, by the way. But when you vote for president, watch
2: out and don't be fooled. Don't vote the magic Negro in. Cause I won't have nothing after all these years of sacrifice,
0: and I uh, won't we'll get justice. Uh, this is about justice. This is about.
4: me. It's about justice. It's about uh, buffet. I'm gonna have no buffets, and there's gonna be any church uh, contributions. And there ain't be no cash in the in the collection plate. There ain't gonna be no cash money. Before we go to break, I got a quick question. Black, now he won't
3: well, I did, I did. You think Hillary Clinton could, could use one square of toilet paper? Oh, so, okay, sorry. I, I don't know what... I, I guess I was part of the segment, too, but anyway...
1: That's funny, too.
3: Yeah, that was... So...
1: <laughs> I think the answer is no.
3: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, anyway... I mean, she is full of shit, so... Yeah, yes, yeah, she is. Anyway, um... <laughs> But so anyway, you get a sense of, of Russia's humor, and again, yeah. again, he was not calling Barack Obama the magic Negro.
5: No, uh, he was just literally referring to what the New York Times called the, the, him, the LA Times, him. LA, L.A. Times, L.A. Times, yeah, L.A. Times called him, quote unquote, praising him.
3: Yes, and so the, and so he and so he made that that bit, <laughs> you know, yeah. just just having having fun with it. And i've i've heard i've i've heard that bit taken out of context so many times, uh, you know, in kind of like the lowlights of of Rush Limbaugh's career, you know, uh, yeah, you know, you know that that bit, that bit has been taken out of context so many times, as if as if Rush was calling Barack Obama the the magic Negro, you know, uh, disparagingly, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's why it's it. it it's important to give a, um, uh, it's important to give a man his due, and that's why I wanted to have this episode. You know.
5: Yeah, I think it was a beautiful episode, man.
3: Thank you. I appreciate. It took me a while to put it together, but I,
5: really eye opening and stuff.
3: I d- I definitely yeah, I definitely learned a lot. I'm not I'm not going to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yes. I I yeah. It took it took up.
5: I'm actually gonna I'm gonna actually I'm excited to re listen to it so that way I could actually like. Yeah. More because I was ordering pizza in some of it, and yeah. More pizza? No, I just at the beginning I ordered pizza, but then I, I mean I was eating the pizza during some of it. I was fucking writing in here. I was having a conversation with Morgan so, at some point.
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I did play. Zach left so.
5: I <laughs> Zach left, so he's gonna have to listen to it. I know Jordan's gonna be hyped to listen to it.
3: Yeah, I I know Zach's gonna like that <laughs> that, par- <laughs> that, parody. that parody. Yeah.
5: Dude, that parody fucking funny.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay funny. Yeah, it was... I've never heard that, though. It was... You
5: heard it before? Yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard it.
3: Yeah, well, you probably... You probably only heard, like, two seconds of it because they
5: were trying...
1: No, I've heard the full song. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah, because... Yeah,
5: no, I didn't even hear the full song.
3: Yeah.
1: It, yeah. I, mean, it's, I didn't know the context, but, uh...
3: Yeah. Yeah, but anyway, he was refining... I just
5: remember the Thanks, Obama memes. Like, Thanks, so oh, It's That's no true. one outside Thanks, Obama. <laughs> or, like, it's fucking, like... Yeah. Anyway, thanks Obama.
3: so... Yeah, for the Obama phones, you know. Yeah. The Obama phones. I used Obama I use money. Obama phones. Obama money. I mean,
5: yeah. I think that this is technically an Obama phone. Straight talk, right? <laughs> Probably. No track phone is an Obama phone. Track phones an Obama phone. It's literally called track phone.
1: That's your uh, yeah. Your throwaway phones.
5: Okay, yeah, so I mean, yeah, exactly. So that's what this uh, is. That's an iPhone. Let's
3: uh-huh. let's let's go ahead let's go ahead and um and close and close this and close this out. I'm gonna close. All right, I'm going to close this episode with, um, with, with some audio from, from his December twenty third, twenty twenty episode, his final episode of two thousand and twenty. Um, uh, remember sign up for the uh sign up for the Patreon. Uh, what do you what else do you want to say?
5: Um, A Discord. Yeah, dis the the Discord, and then mention the um. The Discord um, giveaways—we're gonna have giveaways in the Discord.
3: Yes, we're we're gonna have uh, uh, giveaways in the Discord. But please uh, consider joining us on the Patreon as well. Um, and and uh, I hope you, if you if you thought Rush Limbaugh was a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, you know all those things. I hope this episode—I hope this episode—at least opened your eyes a little bit, or I hope at least you you no longer want to celebrate his death you know at the very
5: least i mean and maybe do maybe listen to him yourself to get a better
3: idea absolutely absolutely i am not paid by the eib network but (laughs) yes but but um but please listen to him
2: almost every american family knows the pain
3: when a loved one is
2: diagnosed with a serious illness here tonight is a special man beloved by millions of Americans who just received a stage four advanced cancer diagnosis. This is not good news, but what is good news is that he is the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Rush Limbaugh, thank you for your decades of tireless devotion to our country.
3: Nancy Pelosi looking pissed in the background.
2: And Rush, in recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I will now ask the First Lady of the United States to present you with the honor, please.
3: As the First Lady, Melania Trump, puts it on his neck. a little bit from his final uh, broadcast of 2021 I'm sorry of 2020 not his not his final broadcast
4: very much that I want to say to all of you today and I'm feeling very pressured not pressured I'm I'm feeling I want to convey my feelings and I I want to do it right I want to do it to the to the best of my ability and I've found in circumstances like this that the best thing to do is not to think about it don't don't make it more pressure-packed than it already is. But it's very important. You all are very important. My family is very important to me. I've had, I've had a year now to reflect on the things that really matter, a year to reflect on the things that are completely relevant and uh, important to me. And all of you are in that large conglomeration of people and things, ...that are very important to me. Uh, I want to go back... uh, Normally, by the way, I I wait until the third hour of the program to... As I've always said, that I I usually use the Christmas program, such as this one... ...to uh, uh, engage in my thank yous and my thankfulness for the year... ...rather than at Thanksgiving. And I don't know why, something about Christmas... uh, my childhood memories of it. The families getting together and the, uh, the children making it what it was. My uh, feelings of thankfulness always surface. My feelings of great gratitude always surface at the Christmas time of year. And it's no different this year. Now, in January of this year, toward the end of the month, I received a diagnosis. You all no, but I, there's something I want to say about it. Um, stage four, advanced lung cancer, terminal diagnosis. The objective of everybody involved was to extend life for as long as possible, as enjoyably as possible. Now, many of you have been through this. Lots of you have been through this as individuals, as families. And you know what that means. Medical treatment that is designed to attack the disease as greatly as possible while maintaining a quality of life that makes it worth it. Some people can't deal with the side effects of chemo or other forms of treatment. Well, back... In late January, when I received this diagnosis, and I was shocked, I was stunned and I was in denial for about a week, I mean, I'm Rush Limbaugh, I'm, I'm Mr. Big, the vast right-wing conspiracy, I mean, I'm, I'm indestructible, This it can't be right, but it was. And what I didn't know at the time that I learned later in the course of the year was that I wasn't expected to be alive today. I wasn't expected to make it to October and then to November and then to December. And yet, here I am. And today, I've got some problems, but I'm feeling pretty good today. God's with me today. God knows how important this program is to me today. And I'm feeling natural in terms of energy, normal in terms of energy. And I'm feeling entirely capable of doing it today. I have been blessed. I've mentioned to all of you back in the early days, sometime I guess, this might have been in February, it was around, it was I think, either during or shortly after I had received the Presidential Medal of Freedom at this year's State of the Union address by President Trump in the House chamber. By the way, something I really hoped that President... He had a marvelous speech last night, four-minute speech on the COVID relief debacle coming out of the Congress that should be studied... In a master's course in communication, it was clear, it was concise, it was well-paced, it was powerful, it was on brand, and it was classic. It was the kind of speech only an outsider could have made. And I really hoped that Trump would sit down and start ripping up the bill as Pelosi ripped up his speech. You know, when she began to rip up his speech is when he began the um, presentation of the... Medal to me, seated next to his wife, the First Lady Melania, and I, I turned my back to her, which is proper. She was the one who actually put the medal around my neck, and I thought it'd been great if if, if Trump would have ripped up that bill, uh, but he didn't, and that's that's understandable as well. But I remember I remember saying to all of you at that at that time that I I had a a little bit of understanding of something that had perplexed me for a lot of my life. And that was Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig, the iron horse, New York Yankees, set the record for consecutive games played until Cal Ripken came along decades later and broke it. And on the day that Ripken, or the the, the day that Lou Gehrig announced that he had... His disease that was forcing him to retire from Major League Baseball. He said to the sold-out Yankee Stadium today, "I feel like the luckiest man on the face of the earth." And I, I didn't understand that. I mean, here's a guy who had just been diagnosed with uh, the most terminal of terminal diseases. And I said, "This this can't be real. You can't really think he's the luckiest guy in the world. This is just something that he's saying because it will play well. It'll." I, I, I don't. I don't mean to be insulting, Lou Gehrig. Don't misunderstand. I'm just thinking that how in the world, if you're being honest, can you feel like you're the luckiest man on the face of the earth? Well, when I got my diagnosis, and when I began to receive all of the outpouring of love and affection from everywhere in my life from from so many of you in so many ways and and from my family who and they have supported me my entire career even during times it would have been understandable and easy for them to say rush who we don't know this guy but that never happened. I mean, I've been totally supported by virtually everybody in my family. I've been propped up, I've been defended, I've been made to look better than I am. My uh, my lovely wife, Catherine, has done so much in that regard. She has done so much with RushLimbaugh.com and with the charitable efforts that we have engaged in and all of it has been to my benefit, all of it has been for the, uh, and yours, It's it's the benefit of people who are the recipients of our efforts. Uh, So many people have put me first in all of this. I understand now what Lou Gehrig meant. I certainly feel like I feel extremely fortunate and lucky, and because I have outlived the diagnosis, I've been able to receive and hear and process some of the most wonderful, nice things about me that I might not have ever heard, had I've not gotten sick think how many people who pass away never hear the eulogies, never hear the I've been very lucky, folks, and I can't tell you how many how many ways. Uh, you I when this kind of thing befalls you, it's hard not to become self-focused. It's hard to not just think of yourself and it's, it's hard to think that everybody's going to drop what they're doing and, and, and deal with, uh, with me, with you, you have to guard against that because this is to the family. This is as disrupting it's as upsetting as it is to me. And in some cases, even more so. So you can't, I can't, be self-absorbed about it. When that is the tendency, when you are told that you've got a due date. You have an expiration date. A lot of people never get told that, and so they they, uh, don't face life this way. This is not a complaint. I'm, I'm simply, this is why I say it. so much I want to say today and so much I want to say well, so much I want to say exactly as I'm, as I'm feeling it. Because my, my point in all of this today is gratitude. My, my point in everything today that i share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. And there's room for for much more. All because I've learned what love really is during this. You know, I have a philosophy. There's good that happens in everything. It may not reveal itself immediately. And even in the most dire circumstances, if you just wait, if you just remain open to things, the good in it, will reveal itself. And that has happened to me as well in countless, countless ways. You know, I, I mentioned Catherine. Don't misunderstand. She's done much more than just redesign a website and the and shepherd the RushLimbaugh.com store. She shepherded the charitable efforts, the Betsy Ross, stand up for Betsy Ross. That amount of money we generated for the Tunnel to Towers organization just incredible stuff and it was all done for me well and 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 the beneficiaries the church it was all done for me all of this was done for me so many people have done things this year for me and it's i don't it's not embarrassing it's it's just gratifying and it 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 has helped me to see so much so clearly about the goodness of people and their, and their decency. And it's confirmed so much of my instinctive beliefs about people. For example, the um, alleged president-elect... Joe Biden, holiday message. Our darkest days are ahead of us. Well, for some of us, that's absolutely true. But folks, I have to tell you, if I were president-elect of the country, it's the last thing I would say. And even if I believed it, I doubt that I would put it this way. But I I don't believe this anyway. Darkest days are ahead of us? What a bleak way of looking at, at things. This is during a, a press briefing yesterday said the worst is yet to come in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic. Which is weird given that Biden has repeatedly claimed that it's Trump who's killing Americans with COVID. And so Trump's going to be gone soon. so why are our darkest days ahead of us when Trump is leaving? If Trump's responsible for all of this? But my point is, yeah, the virus is what it is, but we adapt. I talked about this yesterday. We Americans have adapted to our problems, we've adapted to changing evolutionary things in our lives, in our country, because of our freedom. Our freedom has allowed our adaptability. If disaster is coming our way, we don't just sit there and endure it. We come up with ways to avoid it, to beat it back, to overcome it. But we don't just sit there and accept it. And as such, we don't just resign ourselves to the fact that we're living in the darkest days. Because we, at least to this point, still have the greatest degree of freedom of any people on Earth. Now, it's under assault and under attack, and we all know this. But I don't believe our darkest days are ahead of us. I never have. Like people have been asking, you, you, you've always told us it'd be time to panic. It's, time. Well, it's never time to panic, folks. It's never, ever going to be time to give up on our country. It'll never be time to give up on the United States. It'll never be time to give up on yourself. Trust me. So, we're going to do a real program today, and in the process of the real program i'm going to be sharing the thoughts i want to share with you today i'm going to just do it at random whenever it hits me whenever i feel it i got to take a break right now i'm a little little long here we'll be back we will continue thank you so much for being with us today and uh, and thank you for for being part of this audience for 30 years 32 whatever it is it's just mind boggling <phone rings>
3: Thank you for joining us for our special tribute to Rush Limbaugh here on the People's Podcast. Again, don't forget to join us on the Patreon. And again, uh, again, I know this was an unusual show for us, but we felt it necessary to um, to have a tribute to Rush because we recognize that without Rush Limbaugh, there would be no podcast industry, there would be no po- political. Without Rush Limbaugh, there would be no politically opinionated anything, because without Rush Limbaugh, the fairness doctrine would probably be the rule of the day. Because Rush Limbaugh was the one that proved that, uh, um, because Rush Limbaugh was the one that proved that there was a market for politically op- opinionated. Uh, talk not only conservative but just politically opinionated talk in general because again the fairness doctrine was the rule of the day again don't forget to join us on the patreon we would greatly appreciate you joining us, joining us on the patreon therefore uh, on the patreon you get episodes a day early you get the pre-shows and we're going to have all kinds of giveaways uh, coming up uh, i would like to apologize on behalf of the people's podcast for this episode taking so long to come out it took it took a long time to edit because it was a very long and passionate uh episode and uh, and some parts of it I chose not to edit edit out because uh you know I I well, I wanted it to sound as natural as possible and and even though there were parts where we stumbled over our words I think I think sometimes that's good when you're trying to figure out the words to say about somebody who just passed away, and somebody who was as influential as Rush Limbaugh. So the way we're going to close out, the way we're going to close out this edition of the People's Podcast as we as we cross the two hours and seventeen minute mark again. Thank you for joining us, and um, and again, thank you very much uh, for joining us and join us on the Patreon and make sure that you uh, share this podcast with everyone. That would be much appreciated. Again, we're going to close out. This song is called Thank the Lord Rush Limbaugh's on the EIB. And so here's that song as I want to close this out this way. Again, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us here on the People's Podcast and the special tribute to Rush Limbaugh. Again, rest in peace, Rush Limbaugh, and thank you very much for listening to the People's Podcast. <laughs> Rest in peace,
0: Rush Limbaugh.